between the frames. Music, movies, culture, and faith. Featuring your hosts, John Gibson and Joel Flores. Where do you live? In the city. You have a house? Apartment. Own or rent? Rent. What do you do for a living? Lots of things. Where's your office? I don't have one. How come? I don't need one. Where's your wife? Don't have one. How come? It's a long story. You have kids? No, I don't. How come? It's an even longer story. Are you my dad's brother? What's your record for consecutive questions asked? 38. I'm your dad's brother, all right. You have much more hair under your nose than my dad. Oh, nice of you to notice. I'm a kid. That's my job. So there, ladies and gentlemen, thus begins our 32nd episode of 30 seconds between the frames i know 32 right amazing Mm -hmm. and today we conclude our our series on john hughes we started with breakfast club hit ferris bueller's day off and drum roll today is uncle buck that's gonna sound really good oh yeah right you think so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, yeah, it's going to sound great. Uncle, sorry, everybody. Assail your ears. No, Uncle Buck, also known as, uh, I don't know, my dad who drove the Buckmobile when I was in high school. Oh gosh. He's a junk station wagon with smoke blown out oh of it. Oh, my gosh. It's perfect. When you're in high school, there's nothing more uh, more flattering than getting dropped off in one of those bad boys. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Everyone had the, and there's, you know, there. I, it would be curious to hear, too, from John Hughes, because cars were were a big part in some of those movies. You think about Ferris Bueller, right, and the Cameron's dad's car. You think about Vacation and the family truckster that that uh, Chevy Chase had. And then you think about Uncle Buck's car here. Um, Trains, planes, and automobiles, that, that Woody uh, oh my gosh. Dodge or Chrysler yes, car. Yes. So there's there's a page uh, there's a page called Long Live John Candy on Facebook that I'm actually part of. It's a group. Uh-huh. And there's like guys who actually have those vehicles. Oh, that's amazing. Like they actually looked for the actual year and the vehicle and then they have them. So somebody's like, I've got the Buckmobile or I've got the, you know, they'll be like, the beast is good for another 100,000 miles. Well, I was going to say, what <laughs> at what stage of the of that car would you have, too, if you had the planes, trains, and automobiles car? Would it be like pre-fire or Oh, they post-fire? have it like new. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, probably probably not post-fire because you couldn't drive it. <laughs> yeah, couldn't well, you know, the, uh, the, the radio works and it's clear as a whistle. Right. <laughs> And wasn't it Eugene? No, it wasn't Eugene Levy, was it? Who was the police officer? I'm trying. No, he was the. No, 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 no. It was it wasn't anybody of okay, real notes, really? Yeah. It would have been hilarious if it was Eugene oh Levy. Gosh. That would have been like perfection. But yeah. Anyway, Uncle Buck, man. Uncle Buck, a yes. classic. 1989. 1989, a classic film that. Um, I, I, you know, to be honest with Never you, I, I think that you may have been the first one. To kind of put this on my radar, for whatever reason, um, like 86 and 87 mm-hmm. were big years for me with like music and, and movies. Yep. 89, sure. I, I, for whatever reason, this movie kind of went under the radar for me. And I, I didn't, I mm-hmm. honestly probably didn't see it for the first time more than, you know, five or six years ago. Um Wow, so so this will be an interesting conversation. I I didn't realize that pro- probably because John too you you're a number of years older, and for me, like I remember this was um, I remember seeing it. We were in Massachusetts, like all my extended family were at my aunt's house. Um, see, my my uncle had passed. 
He had gone through a long battle with cancer. He had passed in 87, 88 or so. And, and the family still all got together after that for like Thanksgiving and Christmas and stuff just to support my aunt, my cousins. And they had a big house at the university in Newton, Mass. So we used to all go and congregate together, right? Um, I, the reason why I remember this was it was like around Thanksgiving time, I believe, and all of us went to the theater to go see it. I mean, there was like probably like 20 of us, mm -hmm. right? So it was a really special memory um, of seeing Uncle Buck, of course, love John Candy. But I would say, man, I was probably in grade six, sixth grade maybe. Wow, okay. Which is weird, crazy. Yeah. So, so it would make more sense. You know what? It, it would make more sense in that regard, right? Yeah. Yes, it was just so. uh, well, and and I think just like music, both of us had very different um, upbringings in that. So, like my parents weren't bringing me to <laughs> to movies like Uncle Buck and stuff, just because that wasn't their their thing. So, but so what did you think when you first saw it, like five six uh, years ago? Honestly, um, the first time I saw it, I don't think it hit me as much as it has and that's one of the things that you know i put for us to talk about later on even in the episode great but, okay um, so we'll, we'll dive we can, into that later we'll talk about it later but if for anyone who hasn't seen uncle buck i mean the beloved john candy plays the mm -hmm. all-around slob buck who who goes <laughs> to babysits his brother's um teenage daughter and then two young uh, two younger siblings as well, and with great reluctancy from the uh, from the wife of his brother, oh gosh. she does not want him there. Yeah, it's she, the last resort. Yeah, she doesn't <laughs> want him there at all, and it's mostly obvious why. Uh, some incredible comedic elements with John Candy by himself in the early stages. He gets that late night phone call. He goes to pack his bag. The bowling ball falls on his head. I mean, just some. Some really good stuff. Like I was, he's a bachelor. He's a big oh he's yeah, a total bachelor, right? Yeah, like I just in in preparing for the episode, my oldest and I watched it, and there were a bunch of moments in the film that he was like laugh out loud funny for him. I mean, he just mm -hmm. he started laughing, oh, yeah. and and it may, of course then it makes me chuckle too because you know he got something um, out of it, but. But yeah, and it's interesting too because um, Macaulay Culkin is in it, and he's probably I mean, really, really young at that point. Um, I don't his know. First if it, movie was it his first movie? Okay. Yep, it's his first movie. Okay. So yeah, so, he was uh, only nine, yeah, so nine years old at the time. So. Um, yeah, and obviously that's why that naturally, you know, naturally rolled into um, rolled into Home Alone, which was a big deal. And then and then John Candy did that because he and John Hughes were such good friends. He he, you know, made that cameo in there, of course, as the the polka band leader, which was just amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, all that SCTV connection, Catherine O'Hara, and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So, um, but but coming back to Buck, it's interesting because I was reading some interviews with. Uh, the kids who are now grown up, um, like the girl who plays Maisie. Uh, obviously, Jean Louisa Kelly is the teenage girl, and she she's Tia. And you know, she was recently um, in, in a brief role in Maverick. Yep, she's she's gun. the wife of uh, Iceman. Yep. So, um, uh, but what's she's been in a lot of different things. And what's cool is listening to all of them. Uh, we Charlotte and I were recently watching Now and Then, which is a classic mm -hmm. one, right? Yep. Like from the '90s, and and uh, the girl who plays Maisie is in that as well. She's yep. 
more of a young teen in that movie with Christina Ricci and stuff. And I was reading some some stories. I was like, oh, I wonder, you know, what they're up to and this and that. And recently, a couple weeks ago, I was reading some stuff. And just real fast, what was cool was they were all telling stories. And, and no matter how many times you read from people, you know, they were saying that John Candy, like in Uncle Buck and, and in these movies, he's exactly who you wanted him to be in real life. Mm. That's how he was. That's awesome. And for those two kids, he treated, because he was a dad with kids, he treated them like, like, his kids he was he hung out with them he was very protective he would take cast out to lunch he was always messing with them all like on set when they'd be doing their lines or whatever he'd be like throwing peanuts at them and stuff like that but he was he was this larger than life a- anybody who talks about working with him that's the thing that's neat about John Candy is anybody who's I mean how often can you say that legitimately men and women mm-hmm. who've worked with him um, they're just like he was you know just the greatest guy and super endearing and people have run into him in airports and whatever and they're like he always took time to hang out and talk with them and that's awesome you know that's a rare thing oh, right totally you know it's oh, a rare thing time. and it, it makes him more endearing as time goes on right so. yeah yeah fun funny you mentioned Gabby Hoffman who played Maisie who was in now and then yep. as well I, I had just recently read the book Shoeless Joe which is the book that that Field of Dreams is based upon and both Gabby Hoffman right. and Amy Madigan, who are in this film, were in uh, in Field of Dreams. Shanice, who's who plays right. John Candy or Buck's girlfriend, plays Kevin Costner's wife in yep. Field of Dreams, and Maisie's their daughter. That's so, right. Um, so it was like I went from watching Field of Dreams to watching this, and I was like, "Wait a minute, these two <laughs> are in the same movie together twice." That's crazy. It's like it's like becoming six de- six degrees of separation there. Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so why are we, you know, why are we talking about this movie other than the fact that it completes our our John Hughes? series or trilogy whatever we want to call it i mean what what kinds of things stand out to you joel as to why this is a movie for us to talk about um this is probably one of my i mean everybody always asks you what's your favorite movies if i had 10 this would definitely make it on there for me um and that's really you know that you and i don't say those things lightly and the reason why yeah there's a familiar connection to my dad was was kind of like this character in a lot of ways but to me it personifies John Candy as a person but I think he brought himself to this role most Mm. so what I'm saying is is um all of the things we love about him from the extremely goofy hilarious slapstick side of him that we've seen in in previous films and even previous John Hughes films to you know, trains, planes to the dramatic chops from trains, planes and automobiles and those kinds of things. I feel they all come to play in this film. You, ha- What I love about it is you have a story about a misunderstood brother who's not really given a chance on the outside, who seems like, you know, who seems like he's probably some drunkard who's always gambling in this, that and the other mm-hmm. thing. But really, um, he's a guy who has a massive heart. And, and the irony is he's the most responsible of everyone because when he comes into town, his complete focus is the kids. Mm. His complete focus is what is their need, trying to get at the heart of what's going on. And he's not afraid. Like the young kids, he wins over quickly. But with the teenage girl, she's at odds right away with the mom. Yeah. She's mad at the parents that they moved. She's got a huge chip on her shoulder because, A, she's a teenager mm-hmm. and probably dealing with that. But also... She's been ripped from everything she knows. It's unfair. I mean, we identify with her big time. So the story is really about Buck and her. Mm -hmm. And 
and they help each other throughout the story, but it's not easy. So the comedy is written around that in such a great way that the relationships are what stand out and that's what's important. So I just, I'm fascinated with the story because um, right away I identified with Buck as somebody who's an adult figure in my life, who's not who's not afraid to be like, I'm gonna walk you to class in my pajamas and a bathrobe if you stand me up, dude. Right. So like four o'clock, what's up? I mean, that's exactly, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you get that pull out of your keister, we're gonna get along just fine. Right. Like, you know, it, all those things remind me of kind of what I would have dealt with and kind of how I deal with it. It's it's a tough, it's it's the stance of John, like, I love you to death, man, but I'm your parent. I'm not your friend. Right. Like, so sure. you're not going to threaten me with, oh, I feel bad. Right. Oh, do, do you like me? Like, yeah, I don't want it to harm you. I actually want to protect you. But at the same time, I'm not going to bend over backwards. Oh, you're mad at me. Yeah, you know what? Go out with the with the guy who who's really questionable and, you know, might even possibly try to rape you. Yeah. Go for it. Right. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like, get out of here, dude. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. so that part of him, and I think he can get away with that stuff mm-hmm. because... He doesn't care. And also, he's partially entertaining the kids who are getting a big kick out of it because the young kids are always fighting with her because they're always... You know what I mean? It's that whole dynamic Dynamic. that's real. It's all those things. So that, he's a screw-up in his own life. He's got to get his act together. She helps him. It's, It's all of those factors just make this for me. And like great Hughes movies, just like Ferris Bueller, it has a million... You know, it has a ton of great memorable lines and one-liners mm-hmm. in it. I mean, so many. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Well, and and I think, yeah, just even to add what you said, I, something that we've talked about when we talked about Ferris Bueller and Breakfast Club, too, is this, I don't know, I guess there's probably been other directors who have done it, maybe not as well as Hughes did it, but his ability to be able to really marry the the humorous with the really like the heart humor and heart together i mean i we can add plain strains and automobiles because we talked about that one once upon a time too absolutely i I, I think i I think to be able to have that kind of humor combined with the heart and the the that it is watching the relationship between candy and and gene louisa kelly's character and the transformation that happens over the thing. I, I, in some ways, and maybe this is an over, overselling, but in some ways to me, it's like, it's an inspiration because it gives hope to every parent who's going, man, I, I have no idea how to talk to my teen. I have no idea how to like break through that. You know, how do I, how do I do it? And, and yeah, you're right, Joel, what you said before about, like, I'm your parent, I'm not your friend. I think every parent, if they're honest, of a teenager goes through that that crisis in themselves to say, okay, absolutely. you know, am I, am I trying too hard? I mean, I, I've, I've kind of been in that place too, asking myself sometimes, like, okay, like, should I really be watching this movie with my teenage boys or, you know, I mean, um, and, <laughs> yep. and just asking that question, like, yeah, am I trying too hard to be a friend? And, and it's a, it's a balancing act, I think, in some ways too, of earning respect, but at the same time being, approachable enough that they're not afraid of you, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. And so I'd encourage the dialogue. Like one of the things I do, you're, that's a great point, John. One of the things I do is I just tell them, look, 
you're our, you know, I'm, I'm your dad. You're my kids. And one day, I tell them this. I go, one day we're going to be just really great friends. Mm-hmm. We are. And, and peers in a way, I'll always be your father. But, you know, you're, you're going to be running your own life and all that kind of stuff. But my job right now is is we have those moments and we're buds. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a line we don't cross. And they right. know it. And, and what's great in this story is... I want to encourage parents who are struggling too, single moms, single dads, uh, parents together who are struggling with their kids, is what it really speaks to is don't close the door on some people in your life who actually really care about you just because you think they might not be beneficial, who want to walk with you. Maybe it is a brother Mm -hmm. or a sister or an uncle, a friend, somebody who's in your church, whoever it might be, who just has the genuine interest because a lot of times there's going to be a man or a woman who can speak better into the lives of your kids. Than you can, and and not to usurp you, but to actually help you. Right, and that's what happened here. I wish they showed a, a, a epilogue afterwards mm-hmm. that showed the parents' gratitude for you know in one week this screw up right. fixed a million different things yeah. that they couldn't. Right. And you know, I hope that they. In my mind, I always hope that they were grateful. Mm-hmm. And I think you know for sure that Tia and Buck had this ongoing relationship after that. Mm-hmm. She, he was probably very important to her life, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I talk about in my own context in the church, you know, that I lead to is this idea of sticky, sticky faith, right? That, and and what, what you said about having other adult figures that kind of have that connection that have the ability to be able to speak into the life of our kids in ways that we can't not because we don't have experience or whatever but just because of the nature of the parent child relationship is that there are things that other adults can say to our kids that they will hear very very different coming from them then they'll hear from us. I mean, I, you know, Carrie and I are like super blessed that we live in a, a smaller community. And I mean, let me see here out of the, just my, my two sons who are the older ones in middle school and high school, um, five, five of their teachers, I think four or five of their teachers are people that we've been part of community with in the past. Like one was in a small group with us, two were in a small group with us. Um, I've played music with another guy. I mean, and to know that there's people who have the similar values who are kind of helping to steer my kids and stuff, man, that's, that's been such a blessing that I, I, I try really hard not to take take that for granted and to just say, Hey, you know, wow, thanks God that, that you've given me these, these great people who are helping to shape, uh, the life of my kids. And, and I've seen that in the community of, of church too, where there are adults who can say things to my kids and I, I've fully give them permission to, but they, they can say things to my kids that, either I've said a hundred times before and they've just, it's been, you know, in, in one ear and out the other, or I just haven't felt like I could say because I knew that it wouldn't be received real well. And again, that's such a, the beauty of, of having other adults connected to your kids who share your values and can speak some of those harder Mm. things and get through to your kids in ways that, and, and I don't, 
you know, I don't know about you, Joel, but like I, it's easy for me as a dad to feel like a failure, like <laughs> all the time. And, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and I could easily go to that place where I'm like, well, man, they, they don't hear it from me. I, I must suck as a dad. Like what's, what's wrong with me, but it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with our, no, nah, man, we just got to We got to put ourselves in their shoes, oh, right? Totally. Like that's no matter how great of a relationship you have with your parents, I'm sure there was a lot of like, aha. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, one coach says something or that music teacher you had or that whoever it might be. And they're looking at, I, I think at the times my parents were probably rolling their eyes going, uh-huh. Yeah. I've said that. Uh-huh. Oh gosh. <laughs> you know, yep. we have those moments. Oh, you and Char so I just let it go. I'm like whoever tells you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. Um, and no matter, you know, and that's, and that's with the best of our teenagers who probably have a, you know, the ones who have the best relationship with you, it still happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what we do. We're trying to figure out our own world, right? It's important for us to go back in a time machine, put ourselves in a context of, yeah, what was it like when I was trying to figure out this world and thinking I knew everything and to say, you know, there'd be right. times I get really frustrated with my eldest sometimes. And, and, and it's more because I'm like, well, you know, that's great. I'm glad. There have been times I said to him, I'm go, you know what, man? I go, I'm so glad I have uh, three degrees and have, you know, moved us to three different countries to because you figured it all out. I should have just saved all the money and we're good to go. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, I, my gosh. Heck. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyway, you know, we say stupid things when they get the best of us. Oh, right. I, but, but yes. you know, they grind. They, You know what grinds my gears? Yeah. Um, so what's some of your favorite lines? There are a million. There are so many great oh, ones. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah. Th- throw out one that you love from this well, movie. And we, obviously, few, we started out. out the episode with, with one of our favorite collective scenes together um i mean uh-huh. that's right so many things that that uh, that john candy says i mean the one that made me laugh uh-huh. was ever heard of a ritual killing you know on her face in public again you'll be one you know um i think he ad-libbed that you know did he really oh my gosh brilliant uh, i think he did absolutely i think brilliant. he ad-libbed that Oh yeah. Yeah. How about you? <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Oh, dude. Oh, uh, come on. You know. Uh, how do you pick just one? Here's a quarter. Right? Yeah. Oh, here's, here's a, a quarter. quarter. Go downtown and have her. <laughs> okay. So actually, my favorite is this. Actually, because I, I do this all the time. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's wart. Not her wart. Not her wart. I'm her wart. Her growth. Her tumor. <laughs> Old melanoma heads coming. Sometimes they'll call me that. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's it's amazing! The, it's dude. the principal with the giant wart, yes. and it's just that opening scene. Oh, gosh. Buck melanoma. But you know, uh, it, uh, there's so many great lines in this film, and I think that that um, you know, Bug Nat is there a little similar. And he's holding up the axe, mm-hmm. you know, the little hatchet. And I think that that we all there's something in us that as both a kid and a teen, because your, your son probably got a kick out of that. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, as the parent, you know, you'd love to do that. Like when he pulls oh out the gosh. nine iron and the, oh. you know, whatever in the, in the golf ball. Yes. I'm not sorry at all, man. Yeah. I'm going to sue you. Yeah. He drops the golf ball. Oh, <laughs> gosh. So, you know, there's just so many great scenes. And I think that, again, we all, I don't know about you, but to me, it always spoke of, we all want some kind of adult who loves us unconditionally and mm-hmm. will actually step up to the plate and fight for them. Yeah. And the girl, that's really what she wanted and mm-hmm. what she needed. And when she realized that's what it was, she totally came to appreciate him completely. A hundred percent and saying, here's a guy that no matter what a is going to love me unconditionally. You know, that was the first thing is after everything she put him through and mm-hmm. everything she did to him and said, when he picks her up, she's like, I'm sorry. And he goes, don't, he goes, don't, don't, don't even worry about that right, right. now. Yeah. He's like, how are you? Right. And, and that's a mature place to be. Like, honestly, 
that's good. This is the John Hughes brilliance is it's just realistic, good parent writing. It really mm -hmm. is, is look, we're going to deal with that stuff. Right. But our reaction is to go, I told you not to go here. And that's why you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. And that's what people want to do is get on you. But they don't need that right now. And, and I would encourage that for anybody with an adult or anybody who's going through trauma right now is don't, they already know all that, man. Right. Deal with that stuff later. Right now, it's like, listen, we're just here. I've got you. We're good. Yeah. Let's 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 focus on that right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I just always take that away from that man. Yeah. It's good stuff. I, I mean, the other thing too in, in in that is you see that it's an equal transformation, right, between Jean Louise Jean Louise Kelly's character and and Buck in that. Buck is he he wants to go to the racetrack. He's ready to he's ready to bring the two little kids there. And he has he, so he makes his money. He, so he understands have to work. <laughs> sacrifice. Like he in that moment he's like, "Okay." And and he calls his girlfriend and even though they're at odds with one another and and she even thinks, "Oh, you're just going to the track." And he's like, "No, I need your help." But he got some religion up there in the burbs? Yeah. And <laughs> Yeah. He goes after her, and I think uh, he he in that moment really begins to understand. Hey, this is what it means to to be a parent, to be a caring re relative, uncle, you know, and and to make a sacrifice, which he makes that sacrifice for Tia, and says, you know what, I'm going to forego going to the track so I can make sure I get. Uh, you know, do something, and and I, I mean, again, you talk about the brick. and she knows, and she knows he has to go too, so it's that she knows he's supposed to go do that because she was sure supposed to watch does. the kids. Yeah, yeah. He told her all this. Right. Yeah, T Tia, Tia oh, knows. Tia knows. Yeah, the girl. Tia knows the whole thing. So that's what's really important is that not only that, but he actually came for her. Mm -hmm. That spoke a big volume. Like that's that gets missed if you don't pay attention to it. Is Buck had to step up and realize, okay, this is what it means to be responsible. First of all. If I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, it's not just about busting her chops. It's because I care about her. So I need to go after her. Mm -hmm. So he does that. But then she's not necessarily expecting him to show up. Mm. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. You know how they are, right? And then when he does, that's where she's taken aback because they realize that they need each other. Mm -hmm. They need each other. And this is, you know, and that's, listen, this is, this is. This is why John Hughes was such a great uh, comedy writer was he didn't just write these slapstick things. He he built it around the framework of stories that last. That's why the stories are that's why so many of his movies are endearing is they're written around. Mm -hmm. It's not like he went, OK, we're going to do all this funny stuff. And then this is why it's no, this is the actual story. It's an uncle who needs to learn some responsibility. It's it's a family that's a bit split. And a girl who's trying to find her way, and we're going to tell everything around that. You know what I mean? How's that going to be funny when it matches in? Same thing with trains, planes, and automobiles. You got a guy who's got his whole life together. He's uptight. He's got money, trying to get home. You got a guy who, oh, we find out he lost his wife, and he's this loudmouth character who, you know, gets around everywhere. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, but the story is important in those things, right? Even Ferris, the story is important of what's going on in the background, yeah. you know, parent and kids' relationships and identity and all that stuff, right? So not to go on too much, but that's why these movies, we still talk about them in 2022, right. 23, right. right? Yeah. No, that's that's so good. And 
And I think, yeah, seeing stuff, I think that leads well to like what we've seen That's in, right. in movies, like frame frequency of how many times we've watched this movie and what we've seen in, in subsequent viewings that we might have missed. And I mean, you just pointed one of those out as far as just seeing that the intricacies in those relationships in the give and take of both Tia and Buck in in the the film, right? Um, and like I said, yeah, I, I yeah, um, go ahead. yeah, no, keep going. Keep no, I was going to say, you like go. I said, I, this <laughs> this movie probably didn't even hit my radar until the last like five five or six years, and I've I don't even know how many times I've watched. I mean, I just watched it twice in the last two weeks, so. Um, and and for me, it it's gotten funnier every every time that I've watched it, and I've I've begun to appreciate it that much more to the point that I'm like, wow, you know, I, it's one of those head scratchers where I'm like, how did I how did I miss this this movie the first time out of the gate? Like, what what was I doing? Yeah, but that- isn't it nice that it. It's kind of nice to have it later in life to appreciate, though. Oh, well, you know it I mean? is, and it's funny to for, you know, I would have seen this, and I think we we talked about this maybe in our last episode too. Like, it, it's amazing to me that the context that you're in, or the stage of life that you're in, and how you view a movie based upon whatever that stage of life is. Because for me, mm-hmm. watching Ferris Bueller as a kid. And as a teenager, is a very different movie than watching it as an adult. And same thing goes sure. here. I mean, watching Uncle Buck as a teenager, uh, like I would have, is a very different movie than I am looking at it now as as an adult. Saying, okay, what you know, what is this relationship here between you know adults and children, and and how do you walk through that dynamic? You know. You've yeah, and I think what's cool, that's a great that's a great point, but I think what's cool is again to speak to John Hughes writing, is you can identify with the different stages throughout your life. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like as a teenager, you you might be a teenager sitting there longing for an uncle who cares about you or a family member who cares about you like a fourth as much as Buck does. And you might be seeing it and there's all these ways you're relating to it. Or as the kids, they they just have this big, fun-loving uncle. I mean, there's all these stages. When I was a kid, I was thinking of my dad and people in my life who were larger than life. I was like, yeah, this is what it's like. Big, giant breakfasts, doo-ops in the kitchen. You know what I mean? And th- the soundtrack in the movie is fantastic. It's all that, like, you know, instrumental uh, polka music. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know, when he's washing the laundry and he's got the socks going on the the fan and all that kind of stuff, microwaving things. And, and you know, these are all things that, that do hit you. But, yes, as an adult, you identify it with with like parenting 101 in a way like how do i how do i in my imperfection how do i relate to my kids mm. how do i connect to their heart that's the most important thing not their outside behavior how do i can that's what he did was he went after her heart behavior it was how do i get to the root of what's itching her what's itching her is she's she's upset she's hurt she's trying to figure out life and she needs someone like him to help her, to rescue her, really. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we give up and just think they're just mad because they're jerks. Right. And so we get fed up and they don't like me and this, that, and the other thing, right? So for me, every time I see this movie, uh, to me, the pinnacle scene in this for me, John, and a lot of people would agree, especially on that page I was talking about, the John Candy page, 
it gets me every time, John. Every, every time. I don't care if I'm perusing it on TV and it's on. It's that final shot with the soundtrack comes in and she's looking at him from the porch and he turns back before he leaves and he waves to her and, and he just freezes the frame. Yep. It's it's a brilliant shot. Mm-hmm. But that one of John Candy just sitting, there's people who have like paintings of that and stuff. You know what I yeah. mean? But it's this thing where it always gets to you because you realize what you just kind of invested in. Yeah, it was hilarious, but you just invested in a film where um, where there's an opportunity to have... We all have this hope to mend relationships and to, to see things move forward. I think that's mm-hmm. deep down innate, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's... I think that's really good and just and I yeah you've obviously seen this movie well more than me for you to have whole whole things of dialogue committed to memory so um brilliant you know well it's and it's very much though like you know it's like it is like a you you probably quote all of Ferris right and there's a lot of things we could mutually quote in that movie but you have them too and and I have and I again the circumstance surrounding it is I was a kid. It was at the right oh, sure. time. And this is the movie that reminds me a lot of my dad. Uh-huh. So it gets me emotional in that oh, way. Sure. Like it really makes me laugh, yep. but it gets me emotional that way. My dad was a lot like Buck mm-hmm. and people yeah. who know, know him, you know, the beautiful horses, the colorful job. He loved that movie. I mean, right down to where he's sitting on the couch and he's eating the corn, the frosted flakes out of the box and the dogs are, and he takes the vacuum and he's like sucking it off of him. I'm like, that is so my father, oh my gosh. you know, and he would admit it. He, yeah. he used to laugh and be like, ah, you know, that's a good idea. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing is I, I was just talking to somebody recently too, about how, you know, newness to something has just the, the potential for, um, or, or ignorance of something or whatever it might be, when you approach something from a new perspective, it changes everything. And I keep thinking about that gigantic yeah. pancake that Buck's making for mm-hmm. the kids, right? And, um, you know, Carrie and I went to back to school night the other night for our youngest, and, and her teacher is real, real young. She was a student teacher when one of my older kids was, was uh, in that grade and and it's just funny to see like oh man wow look at some of this creativity that's there and whatever and and I, I you know you said something before too that really stuck out to me about just you know don't don't overlook somebody in your life who you may have written off who has the potential of coming in with a different perspective and and showing you things. And I think that's, uh, you know, as we, as we even transition to this idea of takeaways from the film, yeah. uh, you, it, it took somebody like Buck coming in with a different perspective, with no parenting, you know, skills or background whatsoever to be able to kind of bridge that gap between Tia and him. And then what I thought you were going to say when you talked about the emotionality in that moment was that moment where Tia and her mom hug at the end of the film, because, uh, you know, the mom does such a good job, uh, Elaine Bromka, um, playing that role where all of a sudden she's stunned because, you know, just a few days earlier, she and her daughter were at odds. Her daughter was throwing all kinds of harsh stuff. And I mean, the, you know, those words was were calling her and upset oh, and the whole time. Oh yeah. Yep. And she's like, uh, if, 
if my family moved away from me, I'd have a heart attack too, right? And then she walks away. And it's oh, like, yeah. that's the knife in the heart for her mom. So her mom's probably still thinking. Who's dealing with the grief of her dad being, right. having a heart attack. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. And, and then, you know, just a few days later, she walks in the door and immediately Tia runs to her and hugs her. I think she was probably just astounded and in the best way possible, probably thinking to herself, okay, like, I have no idea what just happened in these few days. Like, I'm grateful that my dad's still alive, but now I've got this new relationship. And she whispers in her ear, things are going to be different now, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a whole lot to unpack there that's not said. Like, did she give... Did she thank Buck? Did they, you know, there's probably, we, all those things probably happened in there and I'm sure they unpacked it later. And it's this thing that you, you wonder about, but yes, that's the moment that, that moment, which is waiting for her and the music starts in and that whole kind of thing, you know, the reverb keyboard and it comes in and she comes in and, and, and then that's why when it leads to the buildup of everybody leaving and he's like, you know, we're going, she goes, we're going away. We're not dying. Right. You know, oh, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Even, even that statement, cause it was a few years later that he did pass. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but you, you, that's why that scene though, it even got me then is, is when she's waiting on the porch, everybody else leaves. She's waiting on the porch, watching him leave. And Shanice gets in and is pulling out and he, he's talking to her. All right. The beast has got another hundred thousand miles. And he turns around and he takes another look at her as in this look of like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, or, or even, you know, I love you. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of thing. And he just throws his hands up and waves goodbye. But it's the freeze on that. That is such a, it's very John Hughes, like, like the fist pump in the oh, air. Oh yeah. Right. Yep. Like judge Reinhold, like, not judge Reinhold. Freaking, what's Judd Nelson. Uh, Judd I Nelson. I can't believe I just mentioned that guy. Judge, Judd, Judd Nelson. Nelson. Yeah. Judge Reinhold. That's a whole other <laughs> okay. thing. No, no diss for <laughs> I, that guy. But, but, but anyway, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. He fits. He's so yeah. good at freeze framing the right moment yes. that captures the emotion of the whole movie, uh-huh. right? Yeah. So oh, so good. So yeah, man. I mean, so freeze frame. As we're talking about that, I mean, I think we've hit this a, a, a zillion times. Mm-hmm. The, the theme or the life lesson. Um, there's a lot, just like there was in Ferris, just mm-hmm. like there was in in Breakfast Club that we talked about. Um, di- different kinds of themes, but again, my number one takeaway is. Um, whatever it takes, really, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. If you if you care about the people in your life, um, you know you're you're going to do the hard work, man. And and it's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be struggle and there's going to be some fights, but it's going to be worth it to to peel back those layers and let it happen organically. The, the biggest piece of advice I'd give anybody who's parenting, and I'm probably speaking to myself, so I'll listen to this later <laughs> at some time and replay it. Yeah. Is 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 you can't do everything and you're not going to do it all perfectly. You are going to fail, mm-hmm. but, but keep showing up, Yeah, keep showing up so and good. remember to come with an angle that shows your kids that you love them mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. And when you screw up, own your crap. You know, that's the big thing is Buck also owned his crap. Mm-hmm. He owned it. Yeah. Like I, I was a jerk. Yeah. I was riding your butt all week. Like, you know what I mean? Even though he had the right to, he was, you know, he didn't have the relationship there yeah. yet. He's riding her, but you know, oh, like giving her a hard time. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And, and, and I think, yeah, one of the things for me was, you know, the lesson of kids, the lesson of parents, the lesson of kids is like, 
You know, when we're young, it seems like we think that our parents and every adult just wants to make our life miserable. Like they're they're putting prohibitions mm -hmm. on us just to just to take away the fun. But but they're really looking out for you. And again, that's one of the great dynamics in this movie between Tia and Buck is, you know, she's she thinks that he's just trying. You know, she says something about you know, are you just trying to make my life miserable? And um. And, you know, it wasn't until I was in my 20s before I finally realized, okay, all these things that my parents had said no about and all these other things, like they weren't legitimately trying to just make my life miserable. They actually cared, but it, it was interpreted by me as, you know, let me, let me see if I can <laughs> make your life, make you not have fun, you know? And, and then again, and for adults, I mean, spending, spending that time together. I, I mean, both of us, you know, our oldest are both, I think, right around the same age. And, you know, we look at the number of years. I, I mean, I, we did something the other night as, as a family. And I, I said, you know, gosh, there's only this many times that this is going to happen again because it was an annual event and I'm like before you know these kids are out of the house and and I hate to be the like Debbie Downer blah, 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 and say stuff like that but when I think about it, it it helps put things in perspective and say okay like I don't want to keep sitting here like or laying in bed with you as one for your kid or you know sitting there just talking and I've got more important things to do, but do I really? Like, that's the question I have to ask myself over and over again. Well, do I really have something more important than spending time with this kid who I only have so many hours to actually be able to spend with, you know? So. Yeah, yeah thanks a lot, man. Now now I feel nice and guilty. <laughs> it, was, it was real good. Welcome to the encouragement <laughs> hour with John. Hey, so you're you're speaking you're speaking a hundred percent facts. And as I'm looking at you, because I know you're a few years older, with your perfectly uh, quaffed brown beard no, dude, and your full thick head of, of hair, and I'm looking it, at myself right? in the I'm looking at myself in the reflection here with my like silver. I was looking back eight years ago and going, "This was fully black. What happened? Yeah. My children. Yes, exactly. no, and then you know, and then my hair like, but." But I think the same things too, John. I've I've actually I was a couple of weeks ago. I don't mind sharing this, but a couple of weeks ago, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was having nightmares about. It. I woke up just like weeping Ugh, about gosh. the fact that there's not much time right, left, you know. Right. And and I hear myself telling my kids things like, you know, my dad used to say things like, you know, all you care about is hanging out with your jerk friends. We're not going to have a lot of time, <laughs> you know. What are you going to care about some of them later? Like you know. And he's right though. Mm -hmm. like, like he was joking around, oh, sure, but he was right. Yeah. Like, you know, and so I always try to give some of that perspective with my oldest who's, you know, in girlfriend land and all that. Mm -hmm. and just be like, listen, man, just remember, we only have so much time. He's good about he's good about being present. But you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, it is what it is. And and I can't ride him too hard because I got to put myself in the time machine. Right. And and think about. Yeah. I, I think that's the best thing you can do as a parent is just show them that you relate. Like you understand. Like, I, I get it. Right. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, dude, I was 15, 16. I totally get yeah. it. Um, but at the same time, I just try to give him advice like, hey, just remember, we won't have a lot of these moments. And I'm not saying that out of a guilt like, oh, you know, I gave birth to you and now you don't want to talk to me. I'm not, you know, doing that. It's more of just a, we won't have a lot of these times. And I, the, one of the things I do, and it's healthy for you too, John, is just to say, you know, 
I, I'd give anything to have like an hour to hang out with my dad. Oh, totally. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And, yep. and so while you remember that at top of mind when you can, mm-hmm. just remember to prioritize some of those things that are important because one day, you know, we won't be here. Right, right. And so that doesn't mean to go hang out with your friends. It just means, you know, pick and choose sometimes. You know, if I invite you to go do something, maybe come do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, well, and I think um, what you said too earlier, Joel, about you know that statement that you make to your boys about like one day we're going to be great friends. I mean, there's such brilliance in that statement too, in in just mm-hmm. in in reminding them like this moment, which seems like gigantic and it seems impossible and whatever, like it's going to pass. My my brother and I talk a lot and you know, we often will talk about our parents. And one of the things that he reminded me that, that our dad used to say a lot was this too shall pass. And, and he said, um, or it came to pass, which, you know, it's a biblical line that happens all the time too, but, but eventually this moment will pass and we'll be on to the next thing. But like, again, what are you going to do with that moment? You know, what are you going to, are you going to capture that moment? And I think, you know, I mean, you're joking about the the guilt that that we can feel in not capturing moments. What what I have found as I've gotten older is that the more insignificant that I think a moment is, the more significant it is in the memory of my kids and I. You know, um, yeah, man, and, and totally. sometimes I think that the most significant moment is going to be the one that everyone remembers, but essentially. You know, we're remembering, you know, things that we did like spur of the moment or randomly or, hey, remember that time we went to Target together or, or whatever? And you're like, I don't even know if I can totally. remember that. And it's been cemented into our kids' brains. And so even in that, you know, if, if you're a parent listening, I mean, my encouragement for you would be that. Like, don't try too hard. You know, I think sometimes we try so hard to like capture this moment and, and the presence in the moment is way more significant than actually like how much we spent to make the moment happen or anything like that. And, um, and I'm just, yeah, man, I call it the Christmas present paradox, man. Like when they're kids, totally, they'd rather play with the box a little bit more. You're like, I could have just bought that. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. I mean, really, yeah. really, it, it, it is though. And it, we all tend towards that and we all have mm-hmm. those moments and then it makes you connect with your parents because you remember they probably thought the same stuff. And it, it is, what are these moments we're talking about? The mundane, like those kids in, in Uncle Buck, they remembered sitting in the back and their uncle wearing a crazy hat and talking, I'll tell you a story about why people were mad at my hat. Like those are the moments they're thinking of when they think of of him if, if it was a real story right yep. like I'm thinking about my dad dropping us off and beeping at all the girls on the way and my friends being totally embarrassed <laughs> in the max seat you know and and so th- those are the moments we think of all that yeah. kind of stuff yeah. right so yeah the big trips matter too but sure. but it's the mundane dude we have so many opportunities for mundane moments right yep. and so as we kind of wind this episode down just go you know maybe if you've never really ex- my advice would be is you, if you've never really explored a lot of uh, John Hughes's work, uh, maybe you've seen these movies we've talked about, but if you haven't gone off the beaten path, like check out some of the things that he does, you know, find out kind of what kind of guy he was and, and why he wrote the way he did. I mean, if you're an aspiring filmmaker, it's good to kind of kind of study those things. I think um, he's left a lot of influence in storytelling. Uh, I was going to say that 
one of the one of the big influences you definitely can see, and you know this is true, is it's hard to write a lot of heart and really, really be funny in a genuine way. I think that's why the show Gilmore Girls was a really big hit. <laughs> Um, the Paladinos, Amy Sherman Paladino, who wrote that and now writes The Marvelous Miss Maisel, is because she is so good at capturing the real issue of heartfelt family and it being wickedly hilarious. Mm. So, and, and that fast, snappy writing is a lot of the 80s culture reference and all mm -hmm. that. But, you know, she came out of that, right? Yep. And probably was very influenced by writers like John Hughes and such. So there are people who make things like that, but it is, it's, it stands out. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to do. Oh, yeah, you, absolutely. You have to have substance, yep. right? So yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, I I echo that, Joel. I encourage you if you haven't seen you know other John Hughes films, um, check it out. Just go on IMDb. You know, you can do a, um, a list. I maybe I'll 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 put a link in our show notes too, just so that you know be good. people can uh, people can click on it and you can get right to that page where you can see his filmography. And uh, and yeah, explore. You know, check out some of his other films if you haven't. And you know, some of them you may like, some of them you may not. And and send us an email too, uh, podcast between the frames at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know if you if you took our advice and, and tested out some of his other films and what you thought about them. We'd love to hear that. And if if you encounter one that you say, hey, I think I think you guys should talk about this one. By all means, send us a message. You can you can reach us on social media too. Feel free to send us a message. And and if you're liking what you're hearing on these podcasts, if wherever you're finding them, please share on that same platform um, or share on social media. You can tweet it out. We haven't really been on the Twitterverse much, but um, Facebook, we're there. Instagram, we're there. We would love to hear mm -hmm. from you uh, and all that. And you should definitely, and if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check out one of his last films that John Hughes did with Steven Seagal. Are you kidding me? I was, I was just seeing if you were paying attention. Uh, I, yeah, I was, okay. <laughs> I wish you guys could see me talking to John. He was kind of like looking off to the side at a note, and then he turned back and went, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> just seeing if you were paying attention. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah. That that would be a, a amazing to think about. You know, I think about mashups all the time. You know, people do it with songs, but can you imagine like trying to oh find the strangest pairing? And then this is my random brain. I'm thinking about City Slickers with those two guys. The one who had that uncanny ability to be able to pair any ice cream flavor <laughs> with any meal. Remember? Oh, I, I'm talking about random. That's thoughts, hilarious. Sorry. This is the way my random brain works. But um, anyway. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. we want to thank you for listening today. Um, and uh, hey, listen, join us next time. When we dive back in and uh, John will, we'll be talking about kind of what we're going to roll out soon. and going to keep that a little bit of a surprise, but as you join us for future episodes, keep coming back and uh, take a journey with us as we dig a little bit deeper to look at some of the meetings that we find hidden between the frames. Thanks for listening to Between the Frames with John and Joel. If you like what you've heard today, please remember to click subscribe and give a share and a follow on social media. Each episode will look to dive into the deeper meanings behind movies, music, and culture as it relates to life and faith. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.